Uh, we uh, talk a lot about love in church, and we talk about love a lot in our world. It's one thing that uh, both the church and the world uh, talk about often is love. How do you know that? Uh, how do you know that somebody loves you? How do you know that you're loved? Uh, I felt love. Uh, hopefully, you feel love every week. Uh, you feel love when you go home, or you feel love when you go to school with your friends, or you feel love when you go to work and people give you a hug, or. Um, certainly, I hope you feel love when you come to church. But how do you know that you are loved? I have uh, felt love this week when uh, I was in a rush to take Manny to school one morning, in a rush to get her out the door to make it on time so that she's not late. And Olivia said, I put your breakfast on a to-go plate with a coffee mug to go so that you can eat in the car. I felt loved when she did that for me. I was like, ah, oh, that's beautiful. What a wonderful family I have. And I felt loved the other day when... I was uh, going to do some work, and I had my lunch in a paper bag. And as I was leaving, Elijah said to me, Daddy, you can use my lunchbox if you want. I felt loved. Oh, so heartwarming. Oh, such a lovely little boy and so happy. And I feel love when I come home. I come home, and if I come home before the kids have gone to bed, I open the door. They, uh, the kids hear the keys jingling, and Manny and Elijah come running with the big old smiles, and they say, Daddy, and they hug my leg, and they say, we missed you. That makes me feel so loved. I feel loved when they do that. When Elise, <laughs> actually, Elise doesn't really show her love to me, but uh, I feel love in different ways. I hope you feel love sometimes as you live your life throughout the weeks. But what is, what is love? How do you know that you are loved? How do you experience love? How do you sense love? We usually experience it through what we feel, through some action that causes a reaction within us that causes us to feel like, yeah, this is a loving action, therefore I feel love. But let me ask you, what if, what if everything that we have been told about love was incomplete? What if everything that you grew up Thinking love to be was just a trace, a shadow of what love really was meant to be. Would you want true love? If what the world offered you in their quote-unquote ideas of love were not the real thing, would you still want the real thing? Or would you be okay having what the world says love is supposed to be? Today, I want to look into the very last miracle that John's gospel records. In fact, in this series, this is going to be the last miracle that we look at. Next Sunday, Palm Sunday, and then the following Sunday. Actually, that is the greatest miracle of all, the, great, uh, the miracle of the resurrection. But today, I want to look at the very last miracle that Jesus performs in the gospel of John, probably the greatest miracle. It's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And as we talk about this, I want us to examine and ask the question of what does love really mean? What does love really look like? John chapter 11, we're just going to read together verses 1 through 6, and then I'm going to point to and highlight uh, some different verses as we, go through the, as we go through our time this morning. But John chapter 11 is famous because there's a lot of things that happen. It's uh, one, of the, one of the passages in which we encounter Jesus and uh, uh, this three set of siblings that he loves a lot, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. The only other person who was in a tomb was dead for four days jesus raised him from the dead probably the greatest miracle that jesus performed outside of the holy spirit raising jesus from the dead but in chapter 10 what just happened was that in jerusalem jesus has become popular and so there's some people that want to get rid of him 
people who are threatened by his life. And so they picked up stones to stone him. They tried to arrest him. They tried to grasp him. But Jesus eluded their grasp, crossed over the Jordan River, and is on the other side of the Jordan, that area where John the Baptist was baptizing. And here, Jesus is hanging out. And then we pick up uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. It's funny because that won't actually happen until chapter 12, but he, uh, because this, all this has already happened, he's writing that. Verse 3, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, this is God's word. We're going to continue, pick up, uh, look at other verses. But so Jesus is, is, is hanging out on the other side of the Jordan and he gets a message, right? So we're not sure how that message came. Maybe a courier, maybe somebody came and ran, delivering a message to him. He got a text message on his phone. So Jesus gets a text, right? Jesus was very humble at the time. Everyone else had the Galaxy and the iPhone 6 and the 6 Plus. Jesus just has an iPhone 4 because he's humble and gets a message. Lazarus is sick. Right? Lazarus is very sick. It's interesting because he gets this message, but that's not what the message actually said. That's what it meant to say, but in reality, what did the message say? It says uh, in verse 3, Lord, the one you love is sick. So obviously, in the minds of Mary and Martha, they knew that Jesus loved their brother Lazarus. Okay? It was clear to them. Something that Jesus had done or some things that Jesus had done, the way that he interacted with them, they knew in their mind that Jesus loved Lazarus so much to the point that when they sent a message, they didn't tell them, Lazarus, our brother is sick, or even our brother is sick, or Lazarus is sick. They said, the one you love is sick. And so Jesus gets this message, and he knows, aha, they're talking about Lazarus. He's sick. Not only that, look in verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so John is making clear that not only does Jesus love Lazarus, but he loves Lazarus and Martha and Mary. He loves all of them. So John, in the first five verses of this incredible, earth-shattering chapter, is making clear and taking pains to make clear that we as the readers know that Jesus is madly in love with this family. In verse 2, it says who Mary is. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And if you read those accounts, it says, Jesus said, Mary, what you have done is beautiful to me. So three times in five verses, Jesus is laying this foundation. So in case you think there's any other motivation, any hidden agenda, in case you think that there's any other reason why Jesus is interacting with the people the way that he is, he makes clear the reason he's doing everything he does here is because he is in love with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So what does love 
look like? How does love respond? How does love act? How does love move to the news that someone that he loves is sick? Okay, three things that we're going to look at about Jesus' love. And I want to say that what you and I think of love and what the world tells us that love is falls painfully short woefully short of what genuine and true love is. And I want to hold these things up in juxtaposition so that you can make a decision. Who do I want? Whose love do I long for? Whose love do I follow? And whose love will truly satisfy? The first thing that we see is that Jesus' love gives us what we need the most. Okay, not, okay. Gives us what we need the most, not what we want now. Jesus' love gives us what we need most, not what we want now. So, verse 5 says he loves all these people. Gets message that the one you love is sick. You would expect verse 6 to say, if all this setup, Jesus loves Lazarus, he is Mary, he loves uh, uh, the the whole family. You'd expect verse 6 to say, so Jesus took off quickly, at once he left for Bethany. Because every other time someone tells Jesus, hey, dude is sick, my son is sick, he moves heaven and earth to get to that place where he is, where the people, the sick person is. Verse 6, here's a sucker punch. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. This isn't to us what we would imagine love to be. If you love somebody, you're a doctor, you can heal anybody, you're a doctor, and someone says, dude, my, like two people that you love, my brother is sick. Even if you don't know them, if they say my brother is sick, as a doctor, don't you leave everything at once to go to where they are? And if someone says not only our brother is sick, but the one you love, somebody that you love is sick, and you're a doctor, don't you do whatever you can to get there? But literally what it says, says, yet when he heard, it says, literally, the Greek says, and if you study Greek, you know this, verse 6, instead of yet, it's better translated, therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stuck around two more days in order that Lazarus could die. If that sounds like love to you, then you have a very strange definition of love. Either that or you understand love in a way that none of us do. So they say, listen, he's sick. We need you. Jesus stays there two more days. You know, in in our culture, you you know why being politically correct is so in vogue, why everybody makes sure that whatever we say is politically correct? Because we have this, 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 this sense of value system where we don't want to offend other people. We, that's why the, the, the great value of our day is empathy, right? You got to feel, when someone says, oh, I'm having a rough day, and someone says to you, I feel you, man, I feel you. And they respond back, you feel me? That's when you feel the sense of kinship, right? Because they understand, because they feel the things that I feel, because they know that I feel in the dumps, and they feel what I feel. Empathy is king, and therefore, tolerance is queen in our culture. If I don't like what you like, if I don't like what you're saying, then I may not feel you, but I'm going to let you believe what you want to believe. 
because we're tolerant, because we don't want to step on anybody's shoes, because feelings are so important in this like sensitive culture. I don't want to say that to them because they're going to take it the wrong way. I don't want to say that because I don't want to step on their shoes. I know they're going to die and go to a bad place, but still, I don't want to bother them about it. That's cool. I don't want to give them a bad grade because their self-esteem is going to be ruined. That's, what, that's the way we talk in our culture. Because we're so caring about what other people think and feel that we don't want to make them feel bad. Because the highest virtue that our world gives is we can give empathy and we can give tolerance. But Jesus blows that out of the water. He says, I'm going to, give, I'm going to show you what love is. Watch what I do. I'm going to show you what love is. Watch what I do. I love Lazarus so much. I love Mary and Martha so much. I'm going to let your brother die. And they're devastated. Why? Makes sense. You got somebody sick and you call 911. Hey, 911, you have an emergency? Yeah, I got an emergency. My house is burning down. Okay, we'll send someone in two days. Great, perfect. Thank you so much. You don't say that. Oh my gosh, you know what? Um, I fall in and I can't get up. All right, Miss Fletcher, we'll send someone in two days. Thank you so much. Beep, life alert. No. When you need help, the reason you call for help is not because you need help two days later. Your car breaks down. Call AAA. Our next available tow truck is two days away. Perfect. I'll wait here. No, that's not the way it works. That's why when Elijah and Manny, this, this happened some time ago when Elijah was a lot younger. He was just starting to talk. He's a good boy now, but this is, he's going to be a bad boy in this one. Sour part of the Sour Patch Kid, right? So Elijah and Manny were in their room, and they're calling, Mommy, Daddy. They wanted us to come play with them. We were doing something, and we said, Mommy and Daddy are not able to come. We'll come much later. Then Mommy, Daddy. And then Olivia heard Elijah say, I don't know if I've said this to you or not, but Olivia heard Elijah say, Manny, let's cry. <laughs> then Mommy and Daddy are going to come. Why? Because when he says, we need you to come, He's not saying we need you to come later. We need you to come right now. And Jesus knows that. Okay, now erase all that out of your mind. Elijah's a good boy, okay, sweet boy. So why does Jesus, knowing that when they call for help, he doesn't mean I need you two days later. She doesn't mean I need you two days later. Why? Because Jesus is interested in something a whole lot more than what we want right now. Isn't this why we get disappointed with God sometimes? Verse 17, when Jesus rolls up there, on his arrival, Jesus saw that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Okay, for four days, they've been dealing with the fact that Jesus didn't show up. We put him in his tomb because he was dead. Heart stopped, brain stopped, all that stuff stopped. He was done. It was over. We put him in a tomb and he's been in there for four days. Not like four days since we called you, but he's been dead for four days. So for four days, they haven't heard word from Jesus. No text message back, no messenger back. And then Jesus rolls up four days after Lazarus has died. And the response of Martha, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 32, Mary said the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? He comes, everyone is mourning, everyone is crying, everyone is sad, and everyone is questioning why. Why didn't you come earlier? You could have done something about it. And they're so upset, the unanswered prayer. Jesus, why didn't you answer this prayer? If you really love me, wouldn't this person 
not have gotten this illness. If you really love me, wouldn't this person still be here? If you really love me, then why do you not answer my prayers? We've been waiting all this time and we're met simply by the silence of Jesus. Why, Jesus, why? If you really loved us, then why did it happen this way? Because there's something deeper on the agenda of Jesus for the ones that he loved. Remember again that Jesus is doing everything out of an attitude and a posture of love for the people that are suffering right now. So what is it that we need more than anything? More than you need Lazarus to be alive. This is what he says. Starting in, in, just, let me just pick out some verses. Uh, he says in verse 15, verse 14, Jesus said plainly to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. So Jesus knew it, didn't catch him off guard. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there Why? So that you may believe. Verse 15 says that. Verse 26, he says in response to Martha, do you believe this, that I'm the resurrection and the life? And then verse 42, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this, he's talking to his father, for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. See, a whole lot more important in the mind of Jesus, a whole lot more loving in the heart of Jesus is that faith would be engendered within our hearts. He said that's more important than comforting a family in their time of grief. He says, I'm about building your faith. I want to give you faith so that you can overcome. I want you to have faith. That's what I want. Everybody knew in those days, they said in verse 37, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind have raised the dead? They knew that, they believed that already, but Jesus trying to deepen their faith to take them deeper so that they own this faith for themselves. But when he says to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life, do you believe this? She says, I believe that he'll raise again at the last day. Jesus saying, no, I'm not talking about that day, I'm talking about right now. Do you believe that you could see the glory of God right now? Do you really believe this? If Jesus is delaying a prayer in your life it's because he loves you and because he wants to build faith in your life if you're on the waiting list somewhere i'm not saying that you're going to get in but i'm saying that god's delays are not always his denials and god is doing that in order as to lovingly produce faith within your heart so that you may believe but the second thing i think the more important thing that jesus is saying what you and i need more than momentary comfort. What you and I need more than what we think we want. It's found in verse 4. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus says in verse 4, this is what you need, this is what you need more than anything. And then in verse 40, he says the same thing. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Please track with me because this is what we need to get. Because there will be a lot of times in our lives where we pray for something and that prayer goes unanswered or seemingly unanswered. We pray to get into a college. We pray to get this kind of a job. We pray to go to this place. We pray to get married to this person. We pray to have kids. And it seems like God is not giving us these things. He's saying two things. First of all, I want you to believe. I want you to have genuine faith. I want you to trust me. 
Not the situation, not the circumstances. I want to build your faith. And then the second thing, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The glory of God and you realizing that God is worthy, more worthy, far more worthy than anything that you could ever pray for. He's saying, that's more important to me to give to you than to give you this answer to prayer. That you need to see the glory of God. You need to see that God is better. You need to see that God is more glorious than whatever it is that you ask for. Do you understand that? That's what he's saying. And if we believed that the glory of God was more important than anything else, it would completely change our attitude towards everything. Towards everything. If we really believe that the reason God was withholding that answer from you, the reason why God isn't giving you the, the answer to your prayers is because he wants to let you see his glory, then we wouldn't complain as much. Then we would have greater faith. Then we would trust more. We wouldn't get so upset. Our faith wouldn't be shaken if we believed in our heart of hearts that God was setting this up so that we could have a revelation of his greater glory. That the reason why that person has, to, the reason why you're living in the midst of this hardship is because through it, God is going to glorify himself. Through it, God is going to show his purpose and his glory to many people. If we really believe that that's what God's intent was and that that's the most loving thing that he could give to us, then it would change our attitude when we don't get the things that we pray for. If we really believe that every setback was really a set up for us to see the glory of God. You believe that. Because Jesus is doing all of these things out of love for his people. And we don't see the love in the unanswered prayer right now. We don't see the love in the lack of comfort right now. We don't see the love in the seeming Heisman hand of God in this moment right now. He's saying, if you believe, I promise you, you will see the glory of God. And we sing, your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. And he's saying, let me put that to the test. Mary, Martha, let me put that to the test. Do you really long for my glory more than anything else? Do you really believe that you not getting that job is going to lead to a greater revelation of your glory? Then you and I could, if we sit and talk, I could talk on and on and on and on about how my unanswered prayers, how the closed doors, how the opportunities I didn't have opened up to a far greater revelation of God's glory, not only in my life, but in the lives of people that I knew. God's deepest desire, the most loving thing he can give to you is not to give us what we want right now, but oftentimes it's to withhold that in order that we might have what we really need the most. The most. What they needed, what they needed, yeah, was their brother to be alive, but that's not what they needed the most. They needed the most was to see God's glory, to see that he is worthy, to see that he's awesome, to see that he's powerful, to see that he's worthy. And that's what you and I need more than whatever it is that we think we need. It's faith to see the glory of God that we need more than anything else in life. And if we really believe that, then that will anchor us when we face the challenge and the hardships and the unanswered prayers that will inevitably come our way. The first thing that true love shows us, that Jesus' love shows us, is that it gives us what we need the most, not what we want now. This is a lesson for every parent. Give our children what they need the most, not what they want now. To every husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, if your dude is all about giving you what you want now, 
That's not love. He's giving to get. Love gives, lust takes, always, always. And sometimes it looks like he's giving in order to have. But true love always, always, always gives what you and I need the most. And Jesus shows that here. It's out of love that he lets Lazarus die in order that they might see the glory of God. First thing. Second thing, Jesus' love is powerful enough to redeem even the worst situation. Back in the day, uh, Celine Dion taught us the power of love. And even before that, right, Huey Lewis in the news, the power of love. Love is a powerful thing. And when love reaches its fulfillment, it can redeem the worst of situations. Earthly love can do this, I think. The worst of situations. A couple weeks back, a few weeks back, we had a showing of the movie The Baby Box, right? The Baby Box, and a lot of y'all saw that either here or elsewhere. But it tells the story of a pastor in Korea who would walk on the streets and hear babies crying, babies who've been abandoned. And around his neighborhood in that town, in that city, there were more babies abandoned than in any other place, just a high, higher concentration of them. And so he said, I need to do something in order that these children would not die. And so he created this box, this insulated box. And he knew that, yeah, you know, this might lead to people who would otherwise take care of their babies, giving them away. But he said, I'd rather do that than have children die on the street. And so people could, after they've given birth, if they cannot or do not want to take care of their baby, they would anonymously drop them off in this box. And in situations where that child would otherwise be dead or orphaned, he would take them in and he would care for them. This is the power, the redeeming power of love. Babies born to drug-addicted middle school mothers. Right? Babies born with mental, uh, with birth defects. He would take them in and he would nurture them and he would raise them as his own. Even though he had his own 20-something-year-old disabled son. And one of the lines in the movie, he says something like, uh, disabled, handicapped children are not accidents. They are God's gift to the world because they teach the rest of us a lesson. And so he, he himself adopted some children as his own. And there's this one boy, he wore glasses, just super smart kid. I mean, it's amazing. This kid is like the golden child, the hero of Korea. But he was adopted, and he said, when my father passes on, I want to take over the ministry of the baby box. And, and someone, they asked a question, something like, you know, your brother was born with, a, with hand, handicapped, and he just lays in bed all day. You know, what do you think of him? And he said, my brother is the reason. If it wasn't for him, then the baby box would not have been created. And that's redemption. That's power. That's love. But I tell you what, that love only works if redemption comes on time. So what happens, right? What happens? They bring a baby, put it in the baby box. They ring the bell, they walk away, and he opens it up and the baby's not breathing. Too late. No redemption there. See, love is only powerful to the degree that it comes on time. 
remember one of my favorite uh, cartoons growing up was Mighty Mouse. Anyone watch Mighty Mouse? Yeah, he was like, he was awesome. So he would sing this song, um, Here I Come to Save the Day. And then, you know, it was just like this simple song said, uh, Here I Come to Save the Day. Uh, that means Mighty Mouse is on the way. Oh, I try to, you guys remember how the rest of the song goes? Haley, you know it? Ah, oh, man, how does it go? Uh, something like, uh, if there was a wrong to right, Mighty Mouse would join the fight over sea or over land. Mighty Mouse would lend a hand. That's what it is. So he would always like that. That's what he would do. And he was bad. He was like this little tiny mouse, but he would like beat people up. And it was bad because it was like overly violent for a kid's show. But uh, so I wanted to kind of get into the spirit of Mighty Mouse again for the sake of the sermon. So I went on Wikipedia, typed in Mighty Mouse, and said every show the formula is the same. There would be this impossible situation. People are going to get beat up. And then Mighty Mouse doesn't show up until three quarters through every show. So if it's a 30-minute show, he always shows up at about the 21-minute mark. Here I come to save the day. And then he comes and he, like, beats everybody up. And, yeah, and Mighty Mouse is our hero, like this tiny, use the weak to lead the strong right in. Oh, praise God. But imagine this show, right? Imagine this show. Mighty Mouse, here I come to save the day. Swoops into town and he's like, where's everybody who's getting beat up? Oh, sorry, Mighty Mouse, the bad guys left. They left? What do you mean? Yeah, all the mice were already exterminated. Sorry, you came too late. Never watch the show again, right? Because redemption only works, comes on time, right? Simple. One last thing. I've been... um, Manny's been into Bible stories lately. She, a couple of times this week, she, um, Olivia taught her to pray the, the sinner's prayer. And so last night, she, during prayer time, she said, I don't want to pray what, for who we usually pray for. I want to pray the heaven prayer. I want to pray the prayer so that I can go to heaven. And so uh, Elijah said, me too. And so, we're, we're, they, so they've been getting into spiritual things, uh, part of it, reading these Bible stories. But on my phone, there's this uh, app for Bible stories for kids. And... Uh, she, she, the, the one story that one of the stories she was reading was about the big test. You know what the big test is going through from Genesis? The big test is where Abraham is tested by God. Right? Will you slay your son simply because I said so? So imagine this: okay, same, same point as the baby box. Same point as Mighty Mouse. I've seen this acted out in different ways in movies and cartoons. It's always like this: Isaac is there, tied up, and you know, it's like, oh. I love you, Isaac. And he's about to do this. And God says, Abraham, stop. Ah, what, what is it, God? Don't kill your son. Now I know that you love me because you have not withheld your son. Your only son. Oh, thank you. Thank you, God. And I love you, God. But what if? <laughs> Imagine. Isaac, I love you so much, my son. <sighs> Abraham, stop. Oh, what happened? <laughs> the point that all these things are trying to illustrate is that God is never late. Even when we think he's late. You see, they think that Jesus has come. So where were you? Uh, verse 17, he'd been in the tomb for four days. Uh, if you'd been here, these things wouldn't have happened. Don't you, don't you believe all this stuff? Where have you laid him? And then where's this? Where, okay, verse 39, Jesus says, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. There's a bad odor. Okay, go and look this verse up in the King James Version. In our house church, we have one fella who um, 
always reads the King James Version. And so our, our shepherd always asks Jason Bagley to read the Bible passage because it is like beautiful rhetorical flourish. It has such Victorian high language. But this verse literally, it says, the body now stinketh, That's what it says. That's what Martha's saying. What do you mean remove the stone? In other words, she's saying it's too late. Too late. Every situation of love, there's a power in that love that is able to redeem the worst of situations. But only in the love of Jesus do we find a love strong enough to redeem the worst situation, death. They said, it's too late. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Didn't I tell you? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. And so it's funny. Verse 41, he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. He prays in verse 42. And then verse 43, very interesting. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Very funny. He said this in a loud voice. It's saying he said that so for the sake of those who are listening, because, you know, whenever he talked to bad guys, demons call people out of death. He just said, hey, get up, little girl, wake up, wake up. And she would wake up. He didn't need to yell this out, but he did this for the sake of those who are listening in order that they might hear. He doesn't just say, come out. Because this is important to see. You know, we just see this. Oh, he just used his name. He says, Lazarus, come because if he had not simply spoken to Lazarus, this is the power of Jesus, that all of the tombs in Bethany would have been emptied. Everybody would have come out. This is the power of our Savior and the power of his love. It says, Lazarus, just you, just you. Everybody else, you all stay there <laughs> until the end. But Lazarus, just so that they might believe, they might know my love. Lazarus, come out. And then he comes out, take off his grave clothes, and let him go. There's a power in the love of Jesus Christ to redeem the worst situation. In death, in life, I am confident and covered in the power of his great love. Not just in life. Every other love, as great as it is, stops at death. That's why the greatest love, the greatest Parental love. Parental love is love, but it's involuntary. You didn't choose that love. But marital love is voluntary. You choose to love this person. In fact, you make a vow that says, I will love in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for till death do us part. I will love you only until death because my love can't go beyond that. But there is a love. There is a love that goes beyond death. You know this love? The love of Jesus powerful enough goes far beyond to redeem the worst situation the last thing that we see jesus love pays the ultimate price so that we could have life every time this is a principle built into life every time life is given there's a price to be paid. Right? There's a cost involved. Uh, Elise was born almost a year ago, and we are still paying off the hospital bills, and we'll be paying it off for another 20 months. There's a price to be paid 
when life is given. And so sometimes people ask us, hey, you know, you got three kids, four kids, go to Europe, you want to you have a fourth kid? And then I think about, oh my gosh, three months throwing up into the toilet, waking up in the middle of the night to go bathroom multiple times, insatiable, strange cravings at all times for weird foods that we've never seen at any grocery store, weird weight gain so that the clothes no longer fit and we have to buy new clothes. And I said, I don't think I can deal with that anymore. That was a joke. I don't want (laughs) Olivia to go through that anymore because there's always a price when life is given. This happens in the animal kingdom as well. Did you know? There are certain animals that die after giving birth. A salmon does that. You know, sometimes you see salmon downstream, a bunch of salmon piled up on a rock. Have you ever seen that before? No, not really. Someone nodded their head, and when I looked at them, they looked up and said, "Ah, I'm not sure. (laughs) Bunch of salmon. Usually what happens is that they travel miles and miles and miles and miles to the place where they were born, and then they lay their their babies, and then they don't have energy, and they, they die. So sad, really sad. There's a couple other uh, things in the animal kingdom that do that. Uh, octopus, do you know octopus? Uh, yep, Chris knows that, Topher knows that. Then they die, or they give birth, they die. There's a strange one called the social spider. Maybe Joshua Chang knows about the social spider. But spider's crazy. Gives birth to its young, and then it eats its food, and then it spits it out and regurgitates it so that its babies could eat it. When the babies get strong enough, It eats the mother, and the mother goes off into the afterlife. (laughs) Crazy animal. The praying mantis as well. This is the last one. Just to illustrate the point, praying mantis is really cool. The wife, uh, she's scary. The female. So the reproductive process begins with her biting off her lover's head. (laughs) She eats it. Then she eats the rest of its body. Don't marry someone like this. Eats the rest of the body, gives birth, and then she dies. Yeah, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy world because there's a, there's, a, there's a point. In life, in nature, there's always a price to be paid in order to give life to someone else. What's the price that Jesus is paying here? Verse 7, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Verse 8, but Rabbi, short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you and yet you're going back there? In order for Jesus to go to Bethany, he's got to go right near Jerusalem where people were going to stone him. So Jesus is going back into hostile territory. But there's something interesting that that you can see as you read through the rest of John chapter 11. And most people know John chapter 11 as a passage that Lazarus is, not lazy, Russ, he was dead, not sleeping, but Lazarus, the passage he was raised from the dead or the passage that has the verse that most of us know in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. Literally, it says Jesus raged violently. It's not just distress. It's not just sadness, but he was angered at death. But why does he do that? Why does he weep like that? Why does he have that kind of a visceral reaction? Well, let's look at it together. What caused the weeping? Verse 33, 
Jesus saw Mary weeping. And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. So he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled because he sees the weeping of the other people. Now, Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It's not just like, oh, I'm so sad that they're sad because he knows he's going to raise them from the dead. The weeping, the anger is because of the effect that death has on people that he loves. And he's angered at sin and its curse on the world. So he says in verse 34, where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Someone says to you, hey, come and see. And you start bawling. Have you ever responded like that? That's weird. Hey, hey, um, where, did they put, where did they put his body? Come here, come here, come, here, come, come and see. Oh, you should start crying. This idea of coming and seeing is important in John's Gospel, John chapter 1. Okay, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 35. It begins this section that says Jesus' first disciples. Obviously, chapter 1 is the beginning of his ministry. In verse 38, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, come, he replied, and you will see. And jump down to that next section in your Bible. Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel. Philip uh, encounters Jesus. He runs and he tells Nathaniel, says, Jesus of Nazareth, verse 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. The beginning of Jesus' ministry, he invites people to come and see. They come and see. What are they going to see? They're going to see Jesus. They're going to see miracles. They're going to see life. John chapter 11, Jesus is told to come and see. What is it that he's going to come and see? He's going to see death. The only way that we can see life is if Jesus sees death. Just come and see. Come and see. Let me invite you on a journey. So as he hears these words, he's reminded of his call. He's reminded of his mission. He's reminded that the only way that Lazarus is going to come up out of the grave is if Jesus were to go down to his. And so taking the sins of unbelief, taking the sins of doubt, taking the sins of all the things that we've ever committed upon himself, Jesus went to the cross and invites us there to come and see. This is the price of love, the proof of love, the cost of love. You see, John's gospel revolves around three main miracles. There's the miracle where Jesus heals the blind man at the pool. There's the miracle where Jesus heals the blind man in chapter 9, and then there's this miracle of Lazarus. Three hinges in the gospel of John, and after each one, Two things happen. People believe and opposition rises. And here, for the last time, people believe and opposition rises. And as you read in verse 45 on, 
They pick up stones again. And then in verse, 50, verse 49, Caiaphas, the high priest, says, let's kill him. Better that one man die than for the entire nation to revolt. Let's get rid of him. And so at this point on, from this point on in John's Gospel, for the last 13 chapters, there are no more miracles that Jesus performed. This is it. This is the end. And Jesus is giving in the raising of Lazarus a picture, a picture of the resurrection that you and I can hope in. The reason why he weeps violently, why, are, why is he weeping even though he knows that Lazarus is going to rise again? The same reason why we weep at the coffin of, of a loved one that we know we're going to see again. Because even with the certainty of the resurrection, it doesn't diminish the pain within our lives. And so too Jesus weeps because he knows the effects of sin in this world and he knows that what it's going to cost him. It means for him to get rid of this, to one day be in a place where there's no more crying and no more sickness and no more death. He's going to have to take this same thing upon himself. And he does. What kind of a love, can I ask you, what kind of a love would pay that kind of a price for you? What kind of a boyfriend, what kind of a girlfriend, what kind of a lover would do that for you? They may pay a price for you, but they will not pay the ultimate price. And even if they do, even if they do, that ends at death. What kind of a love is strong enough not only to redeem a bad situation, but the worst situation ever, death? What kind of a love can do that for you? What kind of a love will give you what you need the most? Not what you want, not what you need a little bit, but you, what you need the most. It's only the love of Jesus. It's only Him. Why would we go on and on and on searching for love in places where it can't be given to us if we don't have this love deep in our hearts first? Only when we have this love that we're not going to look to earthly love, marital love, parental love to give us what Jesus alone can give. When you have his love, then you're going to become a fountain of love and give that to other people instead of demanding that from others. Because there's only one love in this world and it's not found in any human. It's found in Christ alone. There's no man who can call out the dead and there's no God who will weep with you. It's only Jesus. It's only him. That's why he's so incredible. Let's pray. Let's take a moment to uh, respond to God's word. He speaks to your heart. There is no love like his. There is no one like him. Christ alone who took on my punishment, who took your punishment, our sin upon his shoulders, in order that we might be forgiven, that we might know love. He paid the ultimate price. Not just a human death, but the death of God himself. God died so that you and I might live. He holds out hope to you and to me and for all who would believe. So let's pray. Maybe we've been disappointed by God. 
Let's pray, Lord, help me to see your glory in all this. Maybe we've been settling for earthly loves, love of a girl, love of a guy, and we've put so much pressure on them to meet our needs that they were not capable of meeting. Let's say, Lord, I confess, I repent. May my deepest love be found in you, not in my wife, not in my husband, not in a boyfriend, not in a girlfriend, not in friends, not in my children, not in my parents. Jesus alone, Christ alone. Let's thank God, thank you, that you would love me. You would save me, you would give me life at such a cost. Let's pray, let's respond to his word just a minute or so, and then we'll pray and we'll continue to worship him. Some of us are here wondering if love really exists because we've drunk from that well so many times and here we are without a girlfriend, without a boyfriend right now, hurt so many times, wondering if true love really exists. Pray, Lord, for people like that, that you would heal through the power of your love, that you would help them to find their deepest contentment in you to know the love that passes all understanding. Others of us have tasted what your word says is first love. We fell in love with you and we knew that our lives would never be the same. But we've fallen away and we doubted your love because of disappointment in your timing, disappointment in a prayer that seemingly went unanswered. Would you renew faith within us? Restore faith in us now. Faith in the man of sorrows that you did all of these things. You suffered and died in order that we might know love. That if we're ever sorrowful, if we're ever despairing, if we're ever disappointed, you were sorrowful, you were despairing, you were disappointed before us. If ever we questioned you, you questioned the Father also. And yet, because you live, we can have hope. We have a hope in you. We have a love in you. Remind us, Lord God. Remind us, Lord God, of how beautiful our Savior is. How amazing, how incredible he is. That instead of unbelief, we would believe. We would believe in the power of your altogether wonderful love for us. We thank you for loving us with a love that knows no bounds. Because of that love, Father, we can love you too. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray.